There's a place where we all start to figure out which tribes we belong to. The decisions we make there feel like life or death decisions. And those choices really will affect us for years to come as we continue to decide where we belong and where we don't. The place I'm talking about is, of course, high school. I'm Andrea Smartin, and this is Next Door Strangers, a podcast about finding connection in a time of division. Today, we ask, can you unite an entire high school? Seems impossible, right? But that didn't stop one group of students. This is East High School in Salt Lake City, specifically the lunchroom. If high school is the place where many of us start to figure out which tribes we belong to, the lunchroom is ground zero for that discovery. You remember, freshman year, looking for a place to sit in a sea of cliques, and when you find your table, you keep sitting at that table. East looks like a lot of high schools, blocky in structure, halls lined with lockers, the walls and floor brightly painted in school colors, red and white. Except this one might seem particularly familiar. East High was used as the set for Disney's High School Musical. In the movie, there's a whole song and dance routine in the lunchroom about students wanting to bust out of the usual cliques. But as the song goes, if you want to be cool, follow one simple rule, don't mess with the flow, no, no. In real life, kids from East High are struggling with the status quo. 100 years ago, there weren't a lot of obvious differences between students here. Most of them were descended from white Mormon settlers. Now, things are different, and the cliques tend to form around race. You walk into the lunchroom during lunchtime, and you'll question whether or not you're in like the 1960s because there's so much segregation within our building. That's Maya Johnson, a senior at East. You'll see like on the top, there are the white sophomores, white seniors, and they separate themselves that way. On the bottom, all of the minorities, the Polynesians are closest to the lunchroom doors always. They're a little louder. Asians are on the stairs. Hispanic kids are kind of by the doors of the lunchroom and branch out. White freshmen are actually on the bottom, but they only take up about two tables um, and they talk to each other. A few years ago, some sophomores at East decided to do an art project in an attempt to bring all the cliques together. They called it We Are One Inside Out. It got some attention. Many still imagine East as it used to be, predominantly white. But now, 63% of the student body belong to a minority. Today's students hung 100 black and white portraits of their classmates on the exterior walls of the school to reflect the current demographics and to celebrate the diversity. The We Are One exhibit was ambitious and provocative, a bold statement. They want to celebrate diversity and the richness of all their cultures, and they want to come together as one school. The students started planning the project but last that was four years ago. All the students involved in the project have graduated. And now, listening to Maya, it sounds like the current student body is struggling with all the same issues. I've had a lot of trouble um, in the beginning when I came to East trying to find out where I fit because I'm black, but... Academically, I match up to the white kids from the east side. Like, 
I'm pretty well educated and I care about my education. And I really did, I really couldn't find that in groups of minorities where they would, you know, go the extra mile to become their best academically. And so black kids would call me whitewashed and they really wouldn't talk to me or associate with me. I probably have like one or two black friends. Clearly, it's going to take more than a photography exhibit to unite an entire high school. But Maya is starting to believe it's possible. Maya believes this because of Ms. O'Brien. Bonnie O'Brien, and I am East High School's student government advisor and a teacher. Bonnie is a new U.S. history teacher at the school. She arrived at East with her cropped hair and a lot of energy. Just like the kids at East, she says she's sorted herself where she's comfortable. As a queer kid in Ogden, Utah, with blue-collar parents, grown up kind of rough and poor, Salt Lake City was the place to be. Bonnie started her teaching career on the West Side, where there's more poverty and generally more diversity. When she got a job at East, across the street from the University of Utah, she thought that because of the neighborhood, the students would be mostly white and affluent. I looked around the school at lunch and said, whoa, I'm mistaken. Many minority students at East are bussed in from the West Side. I looked up demographics and began to really look at the clubs, who was elected, who was running. And no, it turns out we're 60% ethnic minority, just around 60% free and reduced lunch. And that really changes how you approach, you know, your job. Bonnie looked at student government, mostly white students, and decided it needed to change. But she had to have some hard conversations with teachers and administrators. They were scared to just talk about it, right? Because people don't want to talk about ethnicity, race, and demographics, and that there's, you know, vast inequality or inequity within a club or anything. And I just said it straight. Look, we have a lot of white kids that are in student government, and there needs to be 60% ethnic minority. Otherwise, you're losing that demographic. So she created new kinds of student government positions, not elected, but appointed, based on qualifications, commitment, and minority representation. Then she had to recruit. So I looked at my AP U.S. history class, and I'm not going to lie, I straight up targeted kids. And I was like, hey, who are your friends? Will you bring five or six friends in here? And so they would come into the room, and we would talk about the demographics and what school did they go to that was middle school. Do they still hang out with those kids, or do they hang out with different kids? Isn't that interesting, right? And so once I had engaged 50, 60 kids from the junior class, and they began to see that there was a story to be told and a place to be, but they had to step up and do it. It wasn't too long, right? I mean, you're like leaving the breadcrumbs in the hall. With Bonnie's efforts, student government is now 50% minorities, including representatives who are LGBTQ, homeless, refugees, and undocumented immigrants. Karina Soto is one of the students with the newly created title of diversity rep. She's also the only Latina on the cheerleading squad. One of my goals for me being in office is like breaking down the stereotype that only a certain group of kids can try out for cheer or like dance. And Karina was homeless when she became a student officer. My family, we suffered through domestic violence for a couple years. My dad got deported, and then from there we just had to go to a shelter. Which is funny though, because while I was living there, I didn't consider myself homeless until Bonnie pointed it out, and then I realized that I was. 
so my mom she came as an undocumented person and then after the whole domestic violence thing happened she was able to get her papers and so she got her work permit but for a while we were just living off of governmental help like ever since i was able to work like i worked to help pay for the things we needed to survive and so <clears throat> a lot of people ask me about like cheer and stuff and they asked me if I did it for the popularity, but it's not even about that. It's just to show that, like, it doesn't matter where you come from, you can do anything. <laughs> Karina says cheerleading and student government cut into her work schedule, but she thinks it will be worth it if it helps her get into college. Neither of her parents have graduated high school. But before she can finish her thought, she's cut off by the bell letting her know it's time to get to class. That's, like, as a diversity rep, that's something I really want to do, is to show that, like, if you have enough initiative to do stuff, like, you can do it. Bonnie realized if she was going to help these kids change things at school, she was going to have to take them outside school, somewhere far away from bells, classroom walls, and the way things are usually done. And that's how East High student government officers found themselves at Wolf Creek Campground at 9,400 feet in elevation, with no cell phones, no distractions, just hiking, s'mores, and some truly challenging conversations around the campfire. Race and ethnicity and religion and oppression, everything from Black Lives Matter and uh, Colin Kaepernick came up to, you know, I'm going to lose my Snapchat, something, something, if I don't get to Snapchat. You know, I mean, it was, it's fun, and then it's serious, and then someone makes you laugh, and then you're crying. It's all the things, you know, that, that are there. Bonnie says getting outside the classroom opened up new possibilities. There was downtime, and we had uh, what became, you know, hammock time. So we had six hammocks over in the trees, and kids would say, hey, you know, O'Brien, can we do hammock time? And I'd be like, yeah, that's cool. I didn't know what it was, but they had named it. So there'd be seven or eight the kids that wanted to go a little deeper into a conversation. And it was never one kind of kid. It was like, hey, remember that conversation we had around the campfire? Can we talk about that more? As a teacher, you're just like trying to be cool, you know, and be like, oh yeah, that's cool, give me a minute. But inside, you know, little Bonnie is like jumping around, freaking out because they're doing what you've always wanted them to do and they're making it part of them. And that doesn't happen in the classroom, but it can happen in the woods when they can't, they're not comfortable, but they're learning to be comfortable not being comfortable. So we go sit in the hammocks and you're hip to hip with a kid, you know, and there's two in a hammock and they're swinging and the sun's in their eyes and a fly lands on them and they're crying and they're laughing and they say to themselves, you know, and to you, why can't we do this at school? I'm like, I don't, I don't know, <laughs> uh, but I know, you know, we all know there's so many walls here. There's so many stereotypes and prejudices and biases in every building. You know, your workplace, my workplace, hospital, police officers, everywhere. And these kids are beginning to realize, like, the 
massive thing that I want them to solve that they're not going to be able to solve in a camp trip or a school year or a conversation, and they're going to struggle their whole life. Then there was the privilege walk. For some students, this part of the camping trip was a life-changing moment, and it all happened in the parking lot of the campsite on a big exposed patch of dirt. It starts with everyone lined up next to each other, shoulder to shoulder, at one end of the parking lot. Then the participants are all asked a series of questions. If your answer is yes, you step forward. Otherwise, you stay where you are. One question, has at least one of your parents completed a college degree? If yes, step forward. Are you able to attend school and not worry about having to work to help support your family? Is it easy for you to find a religious facility? So if you're in Utah and you're LDS, yes, you know, like you can go pretty much anywhere and you're gonna find one. But if you're Muslim, it's, it's a little harder to get there you might be targeted because of the color of your skin to do something or to not do something, right? So little by little, you see kids step away. If you're stopped by a police officer, you can be absolutely sure that your skin color has nothing to do with it. They talk about like heritage, ethnicity, religion, sexual orientation, economic status, like you have to have a budget for your family and you can't go over. Estelle Robbins is a student government officer who holds the title of senior class spirit master, but she was not enthused about the privilege walk. I already knew where I was gonna end up and I didn't want people to see that and I didn't want it to be visualized. So I was emotional just going into it and I didn't look at anyone and as they asked the questions, I just kept taking step after step after step after step. Well, I'm a black woman, so we're at the bottom. That's Maya. She's the one who had trouble figuring out where to sit in the lunchroom. Here in the privilege walk, she wound up far behind most of the students. It was the shock of where I ended up being placed in that privilege walk and everybody that was looking back at me and just reflecting on my life and the situations that I've been in, that's what made it emotional. We asked, I think, 60 questions, big parking lot, made of dirt, and we said, all right, everybody turn around, stay where you are, and look at where you are. And really the only people that had to turn around were uh, these white kids, white teenagers, and when they turned around their faces, they hadn't turned around at all. They just were in lockstep with each other because every single thing applied to them. They turned around and they, I mean, priceless conversations happened, right? A priceless look on their face. Um, and then you saw the people who were at the, the start line bawling. And then we stood there in the uncomfortable sun, you know, having to talk about what this means, and then how do you apply this to the things that you're doing in student government? Bonnie asked Estelle, the one who didn't want to do the exercise, for her thoughts. To see people who don't have anywhere near as much privilege as me is really difficult, and it's hard for me to accept the privilege that I have. But at that moment, I was able to just be extremely vulnerable 
and I share just about everything that I would never plan on sharing with anyone. I just say it was life-changing because it totally refigured my whole entire perspective on people and I thought I knew people's stories and kind of how it was but I really have no idea. This is where kids confessed things you know about undocumented family members about being victims of abuse being beat up by you know um, walking down the street having food thrown at them and you know the n-word spewed at them or being told they needed to get out of a business here in Salt Lake because you know your people are illegal and you you know we don't want your people and when they began to share those some of the kids had never even thought that this would happen to them they had never used that language and uh one of the students turned around and he basically was like, we don't, we don't want to be up here, you know, a white kid. We don't want to be all the way up here. And then he paused and everybody looked at him like, you don't? We want to be up there. You know, like that was kind of the, the thought. And then he, he stuttered for a second and he said, alone. We don't want to be up here alone. Seeing that, that they didn't want to be alone up there, it meant a lot to me. And I think I gained a lot of respect for people I really thought that after the privilege walk that a lot of people were going to treat me extremely different. And what I ended up seeing was that people treated me the same. There was no pity party. There wasn't like, oh, I'm glad that, you know, you're here. You're part of student government because I don't want anything extra. I just wanted to be, you know, an individual that is part of a greater whole. And what I saw is that um, after the privilege walk, our idea wasn't, oh, we're at the bottom and we're going to stay at the bottom. It was, we're here now and what do we do with that and where do we take that? The students left the camping trip changed, but they came back to the same school with students who haven't had the same experience. They began to tear down those walls, but it's only 43 kids. You know, how do I do that for 2,000? There's not time, there's not funding, there's not curriculum, there's not a place, you know. If I could put them on a bus, 43 at a time, and take them to the woods, and that was my job, that would be the best job ever, you know. But I guess I gotta start with 43, and then we have to be the virus and infect the school, you know, little by little. I asked Bonnie what she thought about that vision the students at East had four years ago with their art project, We Are One. Is it possible? The simple answer, yes, but I know the reality. To make a claim is one thing. I know if you went out in the hall, you went into a classroom, and you pulled out a group of kids, because I've heard it over and over again, what do you love about East High? Quote, I love the diversity, end quote. Diversity is just demographics. It means absolutely nothing. You have to love the people, right, that represent those numbers. That can't just be a blanket statement. That can't just be a class. That has to be fluid. It has to be natural. It has to come from every group, organization, stakeholder in the building. To get an entire faculty of teachers to agree on something is hard enough. To get 2,000 students to buy into We Are One you, you know, come on, right? Like, that's almost impossible. Are they inclusive, right? That's the next step. Do they feel unified? Do they feel like the culture of East 
not the culture of Latinos at East, but the culture at East is representative, is valuable, is real. Um, not yet. No, not yet. Yet. <laughs> uh, because saying it is one thing, doing it is another, right? We do it all the time. We aren't one. But man, I hope we can get closer. The students tell me they're trying to apply what they learned on the camping trip in their lives. They're starting a pep club and trying to mix up different kids. They're meeting new people and planning events, all with the goal that every student at East feels that they belong. On the day I visited, I saw Estelle in the lunchroom, and she wasn't sitting up top with her white senior friends. She told me when she came back from the camping trip, she made a vow. I just had a thought that I'm not going to sit at lunch where I'm supposed to sit, ever. And then the first day of school came and I was like, all right, I can't sit with those people. And I actually went and talked to a teacher because I kind of knew my white friends would be like, what are you doing down there? I got a sense, I feel like, of what other people feel every day. They don't belong here, they don't belong there. So it's been really hard for me, but the last Friday at lunch, I went and just sat at a random table with someone who didn't look like me and ended up being fine and no one was staring at me. And so I think that for me, I have to start making the change that I'm wanting to see. And little things like sitting in a different spot at lunch every day, I don't think anyone has noticed, but just even within myself, it's helped me get a new perspective on everything. As adults, most of us have already sorted ourselves where we're comfortable. Some of us claim to love diversity. Others want to limit it. But how many of us are doing the nitty-gritty of what it takes to make the diverse society we have now work? These kids have been thrown together whether they like it or not. And Ms. Bonnie O'Brien has tried to give them the tools needed to tear down walls and tackle the impossible, even sit at a new lunch table. Today's challenge is inspired by East High spirit master, Estelle Robbins. We want you to envision the lunchroom of your life. What are the different groups of people you encounter in your community? Are there tables you don't sit at? And why is that? Your challenge is to identify a table, a group of people in your life that you don't normally sit with, and ask yourself, what could you gain by doing what Estelle did, by sitting with someone who's different from you in some way? Record your thoughts in a voice memo and send it to strangers at KUER.org. Your voice may be included in future episodes. We'd especially love to hear what happens if you try it out. We want to thank all of you who have been doing the challenges. You are brave and honest folk. At the outset, we didn't know if this would work, so it's really encouraging to read and hear your messages. And we're starting to see some themes emerge. We'll get into that, so stay tuned. Coming up on Next Door Strangers, facing our differences. Difference, disagreement, is the reality of any relationship. It's how we deal with the difference that matters, including utterly opposing and incongruous perspectives. 
Next Door Strangers is a production of KUER in Salt Lake City. Our team includes Tim Slover, Joel Meyer, Gail Ewer, Renee Bright, and Chelsea Naughton. Find out more about our show and learn how to connect with others at KUER.org. I'm Andrea Smartin.